You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. As we look at the Word of God together, let's, let's pray. God, as we take this time and we look at the, um, your most holy word, our hearts are filled with gratitude for its preservation and its clarity, that we might know you, that we might know what you require of those who claim to follow you. And so, Father, as we look at this today, would you strengthen those that need to be strengthened, comfort the brokenhearted this morning. May we all be strengthened and encouraged as a result of gathering together around your word with your people today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, if you know the name Elizabeth Elliot, she was married to Jim Elliot, who was, um, they were missionaries in Ecuador, and he was um, killed there by the very people that he was trying to uh, evangelize to, that he was trying to share Christ with. And she had a, a second husband who died and had a very difficult, um, slow death from cancer. And so, um, as you can imagine, she had gone through a lot, and um, she was an author and would speak, and she actually quoted from Psalm 50, or 46 that we're looking at today, and here's how she summarized some of these events in her life. She said, everything that has seemed most dependable has given way. Mountains are falling. Earth is receding. In such a time, it is a profound comfort to know that although all things seem shaken, one thing is not God is not shaken. The psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. What that meant back then is if you've seen, you know, Jerusalem has these, these huge walls and there was security and safety and peace because they had, um, they had the walls, they, but really they had the temple. They had this Zion where, where they said God, God reigned, where they thought his presence actually was. And God said, you put that on a hill to let people know that you worship me and worship me alone. And so the Israelites have example after example of sort of um, David slaying Goliath, if you will, type stories. Where they, would, they came in, they took the land. They were often the little guys in the land. But because God was on their side, they knew that they had a refuge and they had strength in him. In their day, the idea of a refuge was a place where you would run when, uh, uh, when things got tough. A place where you could go to. They knew that the strength of the nation was not in the size of their army, it wasn't in the walls, it was in Zion. It was in the fact that they were God's chosen people and he was in covenant with them. And that was their refuge. Now we've created some pretty good pseudo-refuges, I would say, in our culture today, haven't we? Things that we, we do run to, that we do rely on in our own lives. I think about um, you know, the person who just builds a resume, 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 so therefore I will be ensured to have a good job for the remainder of my life. I'm going to build my, uh, my, my bank account so I will be sure that I will always have that money. There's no possible way that could go away, right? I want to um, get healthy so there's no possible way that any kind of terrible disease could ever come upon me. We, we build these refuges, refuges, these things that we do to try and find safety, to try and find comfort. And the problem is, obviously, those don't make sense. They don't work. And so I, I look and I see Christians a lot of times that are living scared because we've taken where our refuge is supposed to be in God Almighty and we've substituted some of these other things to give us our safety and security and our comfort. 
Now, the question would be, okay, all the stuff I just said, like resumes and money and health and all that, are those bad things? Do we just need to live lives of sort of mystic contemplation and be very passive and inactive in life? And the answer is, of course not. In fact, I would even, in this context of this passage, I would say it like this, that there's no white picket fence around Jerusalem. There's no white picket fence around Jerusalem. Can you picture um, the old white picket fence? Remember, I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever lived in a place where you had one of those. We lived, when we lived in the south, these were all over. Just a little fence, and you would just, well, well, hi there, neighbor, and you would just talk to your neighbor over the fence, and they are the most worthless as far as, like, defending your property from anything. You know, it's just a little better than if you, like, spray-painted the ground. To kind of, it's basically just like a little property marker, and, and that's it. It's not a defense. It's not safety. There's not really even privacy that comes from it. And if you ever look at the walls of Jerusalem, it is not a little white picket fence, which you might think like, oh, now wait a minute, if God is their refuge, if God is the one that keeps them safe, why don't they just put up a white, or why even a fence? Why don't they just stand there and almost like mock the enemy? Yeah, I dare you, try and get us because God is on our side. And the reality is, it's got really big walls. They are tall, they are Thick. They are guarded walls. There's one gate, which is what you would do. Well, at that time, there was one gate that they would have, and the idea behind that one gate was you only have one place that you have to defend. Over time, there were other ones that were added, but um, they still built the walls, even though they said God is our refuge. I'd say it like this. Build walls, but rest in God. Build walls, but rest in God. Is it good to build a resume? Of course. Is it good to have good savings? Of course. Is it good to have good health that can help protect? Of course it's, all that stuff is good. But ultimately, my great hope and my refuge is not in if I just have enough experience, if I just get enough money, if I'm just healthy enough, then all my problems will be solved. That is my safety. That's my security. God is my refuge. God is my strength. If we put our hope in all those other things, we are completely susceptible to things in the world that are utterly out of our control. And that's really the point of the psalm. He's gonna give two things in particular. He's gonna talk about um, natural disaster and he's gonna talk about um, political upheaval and wars and things like that. So God's our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, <clears throat> though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved. It literally says, though they totter, though the mountains totter into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble, at its swelling. It says if this entire world were to cataclysmically just shake and move, God does not. Their mind would probably go back to the flood of Noah. If you think about it, talk about a cataclysmic event. What was their refuge? The ark. Or as New Testament readers, we can see this and we can think all the way to the end of the book of Revelation and you see all sorts of crazy stuff of mountains flying around and what's happening to the ocean and you see all those and we can think we have a refuge even in the midst of that, that we are Christians, that we are in Christ. It's very difficult to describe in the ancient Near East how, uh, how traumatic and how, um, how disheartening this idea of the watery chaos is. Like all this stuff about stuff getting thrown into the seas. There's an account called the, uh, the, the um, Gilgamesh Epic that's a, a Mesopotamian flood account. And you can see there's parallels to the biblical account which I think lends credibility to the fact that there was this flood. But anyway, um, in this account, it says the gods are sending this flood to the entire earth. 
And um, in that account, do you know, this is how terrified they were of water. Do you know what the gods did as the flood hit the earth? They hid. They were scared of the chaos and water that was pouring over the earth. What does the Bible say? You know how the Bible opens this sort of primordial deep that they would think like this chaotic structure and it says the spirit of God was above the waters. Water, this idea of water, especially the seas, was chaos in their mind and especially in the ancient Near East. And contrast that to verse four, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Jerusalem doesn't even have a literal river that this would be talking about. You've got the river of life back in Eden, the river of life in Revelation 22 that comes from the throne of God and the Lamb. And then throughout the Bible, the, the idea of a river is really most closely associated with God himself. In fact, I think it is right here. It says there's a river, and then verse 5, I think, clarifies it and says God is in the midst of her. But in John chapter 7, you see this idea of the, um, the river and the spirit of God. In uh, John 4, when Jesus meets the woman at the well, and uh, whoever drinks from this water will have eternal life. It's a very common use to talk about God. And so contrast, all the cataclysmic things in the world, what does he say? Come and drink. There are things that we can't control in the natural world, right? Flood, fire, hurricane, hail, snow, rain, tsunami, tornado, tropical storms, all those things. God is still a refuge. There's chaos all around, trembling, foaming. God is a calm, life-giving, ever-present stream that invites us to come and drink deeply from him. We went to uh, Puerto Rico with Rockland, actually, uh, a few years ago, and um, they had just got hit by a hurricane, and then there were like two tropical storms, and then some things that technically weren't tropical storms, but they were still just really, really bad. And I actually went down there. I stood with the pastor out back in his house, and <coughs> excuse me, you could see, it was really eerie, you could see where the, the, one of the storms, maybe the hurricane, had like cut through. And you could see trees were fine here, and then it, it was, some places was a really like hard line almost. You could see where the devastation had hit. And we, as we're, we're kind of up on a hill and looking out, and there were the yellow tarps, and they were the, the yellow tarps were the indicators to FEMA when they came through, go to these houses first and, and, um, and help them. They, they prioritized. And I'm looking at this devastation, and I'm just watching people. People are just sort of running around and living their lives while trees are down next to them, and they're having to move over. And there's, a, I remember a wall that was just sort of pushed in of a house. And as I'm standing up there with this, um, with this pastor and looking out, there's this, there's this uh, old man, little tiny man, that walks out and he's got a guitar pretty good ways away. But I'm looking and he's out there and he sits down and he picks out his guitar, literally like right in the path of the hurricane with the, gold, with the, uh, the, the yellow tarp over his head. And he just starts playing. And I, and I saw him, I said, what's he doing? And it was in Spanish, I didn't quite catch it and I couldn't quite hear it. But he goes, oh, he goes to our church. And he was singing one of the praise songs that he had learned the past Sunday at church. In the path where the hurricane hit, there's a man out there with his guitar just playing and praising God. 
It's a good image of what he's talking about. There's things we can't control, and in the midst of it, we have a great refuge. There's all sorts of worldly events we can't help either, and uh, we can feel sort of helpless. It says the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. The mountains were tottering before, now the kingdoms are tottering. It says he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Like the last one was saying, come and drink. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the chariots with fire. All right, let me give you some of the context that a lot of scholars think goes behind this psalm, and I tend to agree with them. There was um, the Assyrian conqueror, Sennacherib, during the, here's a good name, the reign of Hezekiah in the southern kingdom, um, that uh, he, he is going to invade Israel. They've, he's led an army that has overrun the entire region, and now the last stronghold is Sennacherib brings his troops against Jerusalem. And they are so confident of their victory, he sends, uh, he sends emissaries in and they make these mocking demands of all the Jews to say, surrender. We have thousands and thousands. We can, we can go all day. We've got so many men out here to take the city. And anybody looking at the numbers that day would have said, Israel is done. Jerusalem is done. But the prophet Isaiah was there, and he went to King Hezekiah, and he urged him to take his case to the Lord to try and figure out what to do. Everybody's saying, looking at the king, and even the king is going, I'm not sure what to do. And Isaiah goes to the king and says, pray about it, buddy. And he goes, and he offers sacrifice, and he prays to the Lord. After the prayer, God destroyed the Assyrian army in one night. It says in Isaiah 37, it reports, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. So Sennacherib withdrew in disgrace. He was overthrown and murdered, and that's how easy it was for God to deliver his people when they turned and they called to him. People think that's the context, and I tend to agree, of this psalm right here about the power of God over the enemy. Like, I, I just picture, I'm sure this didn't happen this way, but I picture, like, if a guy goes out and just looks over the wall the night before and goes, oh, my goodness, here's all the Assyrians. And he goes back and reports and just says, we are helpless. There's nothing we can do. King, what do you think? I don't know. Prophet goes, comes in and goes, well, go pray. He goes and he prays. And then the next morning, the guy goes back out, and he's just probably trembling. And I just picture him, like, looking over the wall to see, have they started yet? Have they started their siege and their onslaught? Is the end of my life imminent? Has it started? And then I imagine him just looking out and somebody going like, what do you see? Maybe before I die, I just want to come up there. I want to see the, the power of this great army. And I just picture this guy in bewilderment going, this is going to be an interesting day. What you're about to see is going to blow your mind. And if you want to see the great mighty army of Sennacherib, you're going to be disappointed today because overnight, God struck them down. Any military might, political power, nation, empire, anything, no matter how big and strong they are, is nothing compared to Almighty God. This was a big fear for 
Israel, especially in that day, because oftentimes they were the little guys, or there was at least a bigger guy there, that there were some bigger nations that were there, and so they had to live in constant fear of this, and they had to live in constant, just with the constant reminder to say, God is our refuge. God will save us. God will protect us. You know, I think of um, the things in our life that... uh, that fall into this category that are out of our control. I still won't forget um, where I was on, on September 11th. And I remember, um, I don't know if you know this, but my generation of parents, parents differently as a result of that, and then even younger generations with some of the things happening in schools and our kids not being safe, there's another generation that parents even more scared, naturally by default, more protective. None of this like when I was growing up and my mom was like, okay, we'll go see friends and hopefully you'll be home by dinner, you know? Now there's something that we go, we're parenting, we're scared, we're, we're protective, we're perhaps wisely cautious, but at the same time, um, there can be a fear that really hits the heart of parents. And that was one of the things, if you, if you go back and look at it, that's one of the things that really struck fear into the hearts of my, of my generation especially. Oh, we're vulnerable. We kind of thought we were, you know, bulletproof, but we're not. I think... Though I don't have good hard data for this, I had a lot of conversations after 9-11, and I think the most common hymn that was sung after 9-11 was actually a hymn that was inspired by Psalm 46. Martin Luther had his co-worker, and he said, come, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm, and they would just sing this Psalm over and over and over, and then eventually he decided, Martin Luther did, to write a hymn based on this Psalm, and I think this is the most common one that was sung after 9-11. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. And armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side the man of God's own choosing? You ask, who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, his name from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Inspired by Psalm 46. Luther said, we sing this psalm, we sing this hymn to the praise of God because God is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. God is our refuge. Anything else is a pseudo-refuge and we cannot control the things that will come against us. But none of them can control God. How do we do this? He actually says, I think, in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I 
am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still and know. The way to be reminded that God is our fortress, that he's our refuge, that he's our strength, it is something that we have to stop and pause and breathe and be reminded of. It's something that we have to know, not just feel. I know in our world, all we care about is feelings. You feel a certain way, that somehow becomes truth. We have to know the truth of God Almighty. We have to know how false those other refuges are, and we have to know what he longs to provide for those who follow him. The simplest application in the world today, yet perhaps the hardest, be still. Be still. This is how we know he is our refuge. He is our strength. We have to make times to do this. One commentator says, only when we cease our own frantic activity can we begin to experience God's acting for us. Only then, says the psalmist, can we know that he is God. Isn't it interesting? Like, look how preposterous it is to say, here's two words, here's your application. Be still before God. Be still. Turn your brain off. And yet at the same time, to look at that and go, yeah, right, in the world we live in. So many reasons why this is difficult. I think the world is just changing so, so, so rapidly. I feel like there's so much to keep up with. Just in my lifetime, we have internets and cell phones and all the medical devices and all those kinds of things. We have our machines that are listening to us constantly, the Alexas and Googles and all those kinds of things, just constantly in series listening to us. And this is why I look at all this artificial intelligence stuff and I'm like, oh, that'll never happen. And then I go, oh, wait a minute. Something's gonna happen. I just don't know what it is. And now I've gotta go, I've gotta go learn about all that and figure out the world that my kids are gonna be growing up in. I think about the news and how we're just bombarded with things and, and I just don't have time to rest my brain every, every single day. In fact, everything's in real time and so it's just like every day there's some tragedy, some bit of news that you, you have to know about and it can just feel like we're getting pummeled every place we go all the time with all this data, all this input from the world. I think too about um, one of the moves that we have to working from home, which I'm not for or against, don't get me wrong, but I wanna name just a shift that can happen is if your home was your home and your work was your work, now you have like phones and laptops and things, and I do too, that you can bring home with you. And if, you, if you're working from home, all of a sudden those lines can start to get a little blurred. And if you're not careful, what can happen is there's always more work that can be done. So we can just stay busy and busy and busy and busy and never just be still and be reminded of who God is. We went and saw, um, my, my oldest and I went and saw Les Mis at the Buell. I should have looked up. I don't know how many people it holds, but it's a real big theater if you haven't been there. And we're watching it, and it was, it was spectacular. We love it. And we're watching it, and intermission hits. So it was hour and, oh, maybe hour and a half or so, and then intermission hits, and, and uh, Hannah gets up and, and slips out, and, you know, a third of the people there slip out. And I'm just saying, I love this stuff. And so I'm just sitting there going, wow, that's, that, was, that was awesome. We actually got like splurged for good seats. So we're near the front so I could turn and I could see the people that were left. I could see, you know, the, the front. And, uh, and as I was just thinking like, man, I can't wait till, you know, for what comes next. I just noticed the guy next to me who had immediately just, you know, pulled out his phone and was sitting there scrolling. And then next to him, I just happened to know it and 
I just, just kind of noticing. Next to him was a couple, clearly on a date, that had decided to hold hands, and also each of them be on their phones like this. And then I looked down a little farther, and I realized every single person on my row, as soon as the, they said intermission, you can get your phones out, got out their phones. And then I turned and looked, and I have to tell you, I just grieved for a moment. I looked, and a bunch of people had left, I get it. I did not see everybody by any means. But in that entire group, I noticed five people that were not on their phones immediately when intermission hit. And one of them was me. And I do have to say, the Nuggets were playing, and so I really wanted to check my phone. I saw this one young couple that was clearly in love and they were just sitting like this talking. I saw this one elderly couple who was sitting there having a conversation and every other person was just down like this, phone, 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 phone. And you know the, what I tell my kids all the time, the danger in that, the difficult thing about that is our brains constantly have to be hit with something new. Like this is the... This is the, uh, oh, I'm gonna listen to a song, and then when you listen to it, it's just gonna be the last 30 seconds of sort of fade out, and it's like, man, next song. I, I, I gotta get onto the next one. If you remember the old MTV videos, it was just cut, 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 cut. It was your brain constantly has to take something in and take something in and take something in, and what happens is that shapes then our brains of constantly needing to be hit, and it makes it so, so difficult to be still. I do a, um, <clears throat> a sabbatical in the month of July. I take the month of July off. Instead of taking a bunch of months and uh, several years, I just take the month of July every year. And it is so good and restorative for me. And I'm pretty good at June 30th shutting down from answering emails and phone calls and all that kind of stuff. But I still, it takes me almost 48 hours to sort of fully turn my brain off. 48 hours. We don't give our brain 10 minutes to just calm down. We live in a culture that says the first thing we do in the morning is we get up, we grab our phone, the last thing we do before we go to bed is we have some kind of TV watching, phone watching, some other kind of input. And the call of the Christian is to say, be still. Know that he is God, that he is our great refuge, that he is our strength. I think it's worth just considering um, where are places you can go that where you can just leave your phone at home or leave your phone in the car? What are, what are the things that you do that just constantly hit you? Does it mean that you just need to get your phone away from your bed? I mean, like, is that the thing for you? That may not be the thing for you. I don't know. It might be you walk in the house and you just pop the TV on immediately so you can just be hit with something. And I just want to encourage you to be still and know that he is God. Doesn't that sound really good? You can do it. We'll give you a chance to do this right now. We're just gonna be still for a moment. And I'm gonna slowly and deliberately just read this psalm over you. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. 
God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress.